Hello and welcome to The Stooshie, the award-winning Scottish politics podcast from DC Thompson that helps you be better briefed. I'm Andy Phillip and on this episode I'm joined by Adele Merson to look at the latest in Scottish politics and how the decisions in Parliament affect you. What's been happening this week? We've had some intriguing polls on the next general election and independence. We'll tell you about our interviews with Keir Starmer, the UK Labour Party leader. There's yet more evidence of why it might just be that people outside the central belt are getting so annoyed by a lack of action on infrastructure. And a school summit was ordered to get to the bottom of shocking levels of violence and online bullying. Do we really need a summit? Can anything be done? More on that later. Let's start at the end of the week, though. Adele, there was a pretty surprising intervention from the outgoing Chief of Police in Scotland, Ian Livingston. Yes, uh, Sir Ian Livingston is stepping down in August and I believe he did, he did a speech to the SPA, the Scottish Police Authority, calling the force, calling Police Scotland institutionally racist. He also said that there was sexism, misogyny and discrimination within the service, so those were quite bombshell remarks, I guess, and they really led at First Minister's questions on Thursday afternoon. Hamza Youssef, the First Minister, he said the statement was historic and monumental, and he also gave you know, some of his own personal experience of being targeted and racially profiled in the past. I think he said he'd been stopped and searched more than a dozen times, so it's obviously something that he can come at it with some of his own experience. Um, obviously, there was there were other opinions out there. Yeah, well, it's interesting because it, it felt like it was a bit of a, like you said, it was a bit of a bombshell announcement. And although the police, you know, people accuse the police of 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 a lot of these things that are now being talked about. Um, anyone paying attention to what's been going on in the Metropolitan Police over a long, long time will will understand this as well. But in Police Scotland, are we getting to the point though that this was an outgoing chief of police who's just chucked a grenade behind him where, where was this leadership in all the years that he was there so from some quarters people were saying that he was you know bold and brave in the statement that he made on thursday but and it, it actually goes further than the met have gone in london but i guess you could argue as you said there that he's come to the end he's coming to the end of his time at police scotland and would this perhaps not have been more effective earlier on and then you had other people, such as Callum Steele, former General Secretary of the Scottish Police Federation. He said the speech, in his opinion, was an admission of failure and would really destroy morale within the police force. I mean, I think there is potentially an argument there that it could have happened. He could have made these statements earlier on rather than, you know, when he's in the door. But there'll be opinions on both sides, that's for sure. Well, yeah, you mentioned Callum Steele there. He put out a statement um, which was full-throated. I was just looking at it again here because it's, it's probably worth reading back a little bit here. This is um, the organisation, the, the Police Federation, that represents the interests of the rank and file. That's how it's always put across anyway. Um, and he, he, in his words, chief constables on the brink of retirement have a tendency to find a courage that otherwise deserts them whilst in office. However, this is not an act of courage by the chief constable, but one of extreme sabotage, as well as being an admission of failure of leadership. And he goes on to talk about something you just touched on there, Adele. The, the impact will devastate the gossamer thin remnants of any morale in the police service and the smell of institutional failure will haunt the police service for a generation. I mean, that's, that's angry. That's an angry response from, from a, a guy who will be thinking about how police officers will now have to go out into the streets. Um, now, 
when when this institutional racism comment was made, I think it was made clear that this is not the vast majority. So, but but now the vast majority of these officers will be out there having to deal with this around them. So, what happens next? Where does the political leadership come from? Do you think, Adele? I mean, we just say, oh well, thank you for the admission. Now let's move on. But this will this will undermine trust. There's going to have to be a lot of rebuilding. So, what do the what does the police do? What does the next chief do? Is there anything they can do? It's tricky. He seems he's obviously still got a few months left um, up until August until he leaves, and I think this is probably going this is going to keep coming coming up over the next few months. Um, he, I believe he had he had an interview this this morning on on GMS where I think they were you know they're really trying to drill into exactly what he means. He seems to be suggesting he's not meaning that police officers themselves are are racist, but that there's as you say there's more this this is institution but what what does that mean and what's the definition of that and i think he will face a lot of those kind of questions i mean what he's i think he's clearly keen to set a kind of the beginning of a journey that will result in police scotland changing and i guess for change to happen for change to happen you do have to be bold and admitting things i think this is all happening as well in the we're talking obviously about racism but there was also he said there's sexism and misogyny we had that's a lot of this discussion has come off the back of the horrendous case of Sarah Everard um, you know the kidnap rape and murder of of her and the fact that that was um, a police officer and off the back of that there's been a lot of discussion about this kind of boys club mentality and police officers joking about raping women and hitting women in sort of like what's that messages and things that this is all down in the in the met i believe a lot of this has come out but i'm sure there needs there's reasons why these statements have to be made um well, there was plenty more going on in parliamentary politics this week some of which we'll, we'll get into a bit but behind the scenes politicians of all parties have been keeping one eye on some interesting polling we had two polls this week that were particularly eye-catching one was a an in-depth constituency level bit of research by yougov and for the political nerds out there, the analysis is called multi-level regression and post-stratification. The idea that you can get a picture of local attitudes rather than a uniform swing across the country. A snapshot. So YouGov suggested the SNP will lose 23 seats to Labour. Uh, the central belts where the action is there, up to West Fife, where Gordon Brown's legacy looks like likely to be doing something there. Tories are braced for a bit of a shocker across the UK and some surprises here for them too. We'll talk about one MP in particular, um, Andrew Bowie. He is a Rishi Sunak ally, um, fairly fresh face in a junior ministerial level in the UK government, Royal D side, no less. But could he actually fall victim to the SNP at the general election, which is what YouGov suggests could happen, even when the nationalists are in some difficulty? Do you think that's um, an indication, Adele, of, of the trouble that the conservatives are in across the uk i remember something similar if my memory serves me correctly with the last election where i think they predicted that andrew bowie's seat would go to the smp and it's the last couple of elections it's that west aberdeenshire and concarden seat has been one that the, the smp i think have really wanted to win and i'm skeptical as to whether andrew bowie will lose that one to be honest i, I think that polling does suggest is a slightly elevated vote for the for Labour, which might kind of skew things a little bit. So yeah, my feel if I had to guess, <laughs> then my feeling would be that Andrew Bowie will just hold on to that one, especially considering the kind of state of the, the SNP at the moment with the investigation into their finances. But then 
that's true because you've got the SNP being pegged back where people are in second place, like Labour Party in central Scotland. But are we at risk of thinking too much about the SNP's current difficulties and not enough about the UK Conservatives' current difficulties? Basically, who who is going to get punished the most in this one? The SNP for their current problems or the Conservatives for the current problems? I'm not sure. I, I think in that particular seat, personally, think it will be the SNP more than the Conservatives. I think if it had still been Liz Truss, obviously, that would have been a much different story. But I think Rishi Sunak's perhaps steadied things a little bit for some voters. But I do think it'll be interesting to watch, but... I'm sticking to my hunch that I think Andrew Bowie might just sort of cling on there. Yeah, there was a suggestion. We, we've actually got a, a nice wee interactive map on, on our politics pages online at the PNJ and the Courier. So you can have a look for yourself because it shows you the, what, what happened in 2019 and it shows you what is projected to happen at the next general election, which is still some way out. But it goes into quite a level of detail, um, obviously based off a small number which has been extrapolated. But in that part of the world, it suggests maybe one in four voting Labour. And I have never seen that kind of Labour vote around that part um, previously. So uh, who knows? Maybe that's uh, an anomaly. But it's certainly not great news for the Conservatives. Um, but the, the, the Lib Dems we mentioned as well, not great news for them either. They seem to be really just pegged into the areas they already have support and they don't seem to be breaking out anywhere, including Ian Blackford's current seat, uh, Aber, Sky. Um, that's is that to be expected? Do you think the Lib Dems always think they're on the verge of a comeback? They're always winning here. Are they? Are they going to actually put it out of the bag this time? It, it doesn't look like it. If you look at the polling, it does feel like you know it's all about more hanging on to what they have at this stage, which is strange because. I've been in journalism almost 10 years and I can remember probably the earlier half of my career they were, yeah, you say they were such a, a bigger force in Aberdeenshire in particular and, um, you know, some really like veteran politicians that represented the area for, I think, you know, close to 20 years or around that and that tradition is strange because you think it must still be there but there doesn't seem to be any real evidence that they're going to turn around their fortunes in, in the next election out of that seat you speak of, I have spoken to Angus, uh, there's a, Angus MacDonald is the Liberal Democrat candidate hoping to topple Ian Blackford. It's kind of his personal mission. We've got a good piece on the Press and Journal website getting to know him a bit more. But yeah, he's really, really wanting to break through there. Like He's very committed to pushing as hard as he can. But I don't know. I think he'll be making, he's wanting to make you know a big pitch for the fact that that area the Western Highlands has been, in his in his view, ignored by by central government. I think that's that's the kind of uh, pitch that he will make to voters. The the, the Labour problem um, back to that is still fascinating though for the SNP, where they were in second place a lot of the places around Glasgow, Central Scotland, East Lothian, but then up into West Fife, um, places that uh, used to used to vote Labour in, in their droves. It's a very um, mixed picture, actually, when you look at the whole of Fife. You've got Lib Dems in the northeast corner, SNP in the middle, and then you have Neil Hanvey, an Alba MP, who wasn't voted in as an Alba MP, but he's there. That's one of the seats that Labour could turn. And, of course, it was Gordon Brown's previous seat. So there's some legacy there. And then no sooner was the ink dry on that poll then Keir Starmer 
hopped into his car and, and made it up to Kirkcaldy, um, where he wanted to talk about the impact of of all the problems that are around and hoping to to, to capitalize on that. We we dropped in there as well and had a, a chat with Kier. You can read the interview there on our pages at the Courier. Um, one of his one piece on his local ambitions and another on the future of drug policy with some fascinating potential there. On the politics, he clearly wants it to look like the road to Westminster uh, has to run through Scotland. So this poll's very good for him. But he's he might be making it in in the urban places and in former Labour areas. But what about the rest? The SNP doesn't look like it's actually in retreat that many other places, uh, whether you go south or north. Has Labour got a rural problem, Adele? Yeah, interesting you say about, you know, Kirkcaldy. And <laughs> I know all, all, all parties, they, they target the visits that they do based on, you know, likelihood of, of what they think it is to win to win that seat. But it did, it did feel a little bit funny that he just immediately makes the journey up to Kirkcaldy. And, um, you know, reading the coverage from from that visit it didn't feel like he was actually really beyond the you know the drug consumption rooms policy there wasn't really any detail in what in what he was saying to Derek our colleague you know there wasn't really I, I didn't really get a sense of what their plan is and it made me think you know do they do they understand what what Scotland's looking for it didn't feel like there was any real specific pitch for voters in Kirkcaldy or elsewhere in Scotland as far as I could see in terms of the the northeasters, obviously, the wind they've been very strong on the the windfall tax for oil and gas companies' profits, and I think that won't be hugely popular with with some people potentially in Aberdeen. And again, casting my mind back, I remember Aberdeen was well, like so much of Scotland, you know, was a really big labour place and had a real tradition, and that just seems to have they've just let that go really. And there's I I don't really get an impression that they are targeting sort of um sorry you asked specifically actually about more rural areas but i don't get the impression they really have presence even in the northeast which is still an urban um area but in terms of rural areas yeah they just don't seem to really be at the races at all and i, I don't know why that is exactly no it might just be that they're you know coming back and nicking a few seats here and there i mean as many as 23 that would be a that'd be a, a real good night at the races for them um based on you know, recent polling. But it wasn't just that poll. There's, there's another layer to this because Ipsos Mori also were asking people's opinions recently. And their poll came out the day after you gave one, you gave one. Um, it wasn't done in the same way. So it's harder to do a, a comparison on the, the voting intentions. But they did also ask about independence. I think that's where it gets interesting because it suggests the yes vote is holding up rather well for the SNP at a time where the party itself appears to be losing support. They put yes on 53 and no on 47 among those likely to vote and not including people who said they don't know. That's the caveat. But the headline there is, is quite clear and it shows a, a direction of travel if you compare with the previous Ipsos Mori polls rather than with different um, firms. So what's happening here? We're, we're continuing to see lots of independent support, but not so much SNP, although they are still you know, in pole position. What's going on there? Are people decoupling their votes a little bit? You know, they don't maybe see the SNP as the, the only vehicle left for independence. Um, Alex Salmon, for one, would be quite interested to hear that. Um, is it a, 
is that what's happening? Are people just thinking maybe there's not a goal at the moment, there's no referendum in sight, so they don't need to vote for the SNP? It, it could potentially be that, that they feel there's no real yeah, tangible plan there at the moment for a referendum, so they're able to sort of separate the two. But I, I, I still would feel that probably most people... Um, are choosing to vote for the SNP, uh, a lot of them on the basis of, you know, wanting independence and that they're still the main the main party that they're going to for that reason. As you say there, the SNP have had a really difficult time lately and yet they're not, although we've listed, you know, they could lose quite a few seats. It's not, it doesn't look disa- absolutely disastrous for them. And I think that is just because they're still retaining the vote of people that, that want independence, I think. Mm-hmm. And there's also this idea that we don't know the date for next general election. We've got a lot of like problems going on locally, and maybe people are thinking back to how it used to be um, not that long ago, where Scots had a tendency to vote one way at Westminster and another way at Holyrood. I suppose it's not far fetched to think, perhaps this time round, the message about voting um, Labour to get rid of the Conservatives, which is what the SNP and Labour are saying might help labor this time round but then they you know people might write the uh write the obituary for the SNP a little bit quickly because there's absolutely nothing to suggest that the next Holyrood election the SNP wouldn't just sweep the boards the the polling shows Hamza Yousaf's inherited a 10 point loss since Nicola Sturgeon's term as leader that's the Yukov one with labor gaining ground and Scottish labor leader Anas Sarwar is the only one of the leaders with a positive rating too which is interesting the SNP is still the most trusted across all the metrics um, asked by Ipsos Mori but they are recently going backwards while Labour edge upwards so you know there's there's lots of lots of food for thought there what is perhaps driving the SNP support down though if we take away their current um, travails with with the police investigation and uh, the financial problems they've run into Adele you might have an answer actually to this if we look at one corner of policy infrastructure from ferries to roads, they're not covered in glory at the moment. You were um, you were watching one SNP politician get into a bit of a fankle about uh, infrastructure just the other day. Tell, tell us about Claire Adamson. Yeah, I was watching BBC Debate Night, which this week was in Elgin. And Claire Adamson, who's the MSP for Motherwell, she was the SNP's representative on the show. And she came in for quite a hard time from the audience over plans to duel the A96. Basically, somebody in the audience asked, when's that going to happen? And there's just a bit of a garbled answer in terms of started off kind of talking about the A9 and saying it's contractors and it's COVID and the audience were not were not too pleased with, with those being used, you know, as the reason for why it hadn't been brought forward. And there was real anger amongst people that were there There were people giving sort of personal stories. One woman talked about a crash that her husband had been in on the road in 2019, where he had to be cut. It took six hours to cut him out of his vehicle. And then there was other people saying how they travel the road. You know, they commute. I don't know where to exactly, probably to Aberdeen or somewhere. They commute on the road frequently and it's filled with potholes and there's near misses with lorries. And you really, there was a real sense of frustration coming across and it felt like the SNP had sent somebody from, as does happen on these shows, you know, it's not always the case that somebody's strictly from the area or representing the area that the show's being filmed in. But there was a feeling that 
I mean, she admitted herself, I don't, she, I think she said, I don't really know the specifics about the A96. So it felt a little bit strange to to send this person up to Elgin with, with some angry voters and, and to not really know, I guess, the ins and outs of that policy. Yeah. I mean, it's not like a fringe problem, this thing. This is a trunk road between two cities and it's it's in the news uh, regionally almost every day. Um, and then if you take the A9 into the bargain as well, that is another very long trunk road that connects cities. And th- both of these roads are, are uh, frequently name-checked in the Scottish Parliament. They've caused all sorts of problems politically. It's got to um, it's got to a head, really, people like Fergus Ewing, who's a real thorn in the side of his own party now, um, up in Inverness, constantly decrying the SNP's deal with the Greens, which he blames for a lack of action on um, infrastructure and road building. So obviously they want to, they had promised a long, long time ago to duel the roads between um, Aberdeen, Inverness, Perth. It's not happening. Um, Do you think this is possibly a reason why some people might be turning against the the party or is that too hyper-local? It's hard to see whether... There are some real big policies that are impacting, particularly sort of P&J patch, let's say, so the Highlands and, and Murray and the Northeast, where it does feel like there's there's growing anger and, you know, things like ferries, the A9, the A96. But yeah, whether it translates, I don't know. Again, it comes down to trying to analyse voter behaviour. Are, are they kind of motivated by those hyper-local issues that they... I guess, have to deal with every day or are they more motivated by other principles and, and wider policies and the general kind of future direction of the country? It's it's quite hard to tell, but there's definitely, definitely growing frustration. I think, I keep, I keep mentioning the anger, but it really, it was quite something to see actually. There was the, the, the level of frustration that was in the audience and there's this narrative that's, I guess, long been peddled by opposition parties to the SNP, which they like to go off on, you know, the northeast being forgotten about by central government and it being a central belt party and not really understanding their areas but there were actually a lot of audience members saying that in the show um i mean whether they've maybe picked that up from opposition parties and run with it too but there's definitely feeling that just that the areas are forgotten about and that people don't understand and i mean the roads is a perfect example of that where there was a really interesting contribution from Andy Whiteman, the former Green MSP, where he actually said he's he's for the duelling, that in general he's not for building lots of new roads and that public transport is so important, particularly in more uh, populated areas, such as the Central Belt, that's really important. But he said, you know, I think he was a student up in Aberdeen University and he's he's travelled that road, he said, before and many times. And there's just a feeling that people in the north need this road it's 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 not i think sometimes in central um at a government level it's often seen as well we've got our policy that building more roads and having more cars is bad and therefore we we're, we're against this road kind of thing whereas he was kind of making the argument that all those things are really important but that this is an area that rely does just rely on the car because historically over years there have been not enough investment in rail and public transport options. Yeah, no, it's true. But of course, you look back to what we were saying just a minute ago in the polls, that uh, central belt party is about to be supplanted by Labour at Westminster and the rural 
areas which are up in arms against the SNP are going to continue voting for them. So it's um, it's a bit of a bit of mixed messages going on there. But there was more before we have to round off um, our chat today. There was a lot more going on in Parliament. We, we couldn't get around everything. But the, one really important debate that I think happened was on school violence. Um, it was one of the more attention holding debates this week, I'd say, and I, I was watching for more information on a promised summit on violence, which the Education Secretary, Jenny Ruth had promised. But the chat turned into what really turned into a two-hour list of utterly terrifying anecdotes about schools. I've got girls at school, one's about to hit secondary. I know from my experience how good state schools in Scotland can be, but anyone tuning in to that debate would have run a mile if they didn't have any idea of what it was like to go to school in Scotland. Are we getting a fair picture um, or is it just necessary that we need to just throw as many of these awful examples of bullying, cyberbullying, videos of violence? Do we have to just just lance the boil, air it all, and just admit that there's a problem and it's not it's not good? It, it does feel like there is, I'm just really speaking anecdotally here, but it does feel that there's a growing problem when it comes to sort of discipline and behavior bullying and violence in schools and i think as you say mentioning these kind of extreme examples i mean they are happening so i think it it helps to perhaps motivate government to to take it more seriously i mean uh, jenny goruth the education secretary has obviously announced this summit it will be interesting to find out if, if any real action comes from that is it going to be a talking shop or what's it really going to lead to yeah, summits, they fill me with um, inertia sometimes. There's just so many summits. Anytime anything difficult comes along, there's a summit. But then you, you, where, where's the conclusion? Um, but there's no doubt that there's something that needs to be discussed here widely with parents, unions, teachers, um, and everyone who runs the, the, the policies. Because, I mean, the wee snapshots here, our social media team at DC Thompson uncovered about 70 accounts on social media only looking at Tayside and Fife dedicated to school fights um, and they just did that in one day just as a sort of a snapshot imagine the picture nationally so and Adele I know that you know that there was industrial unrest in Aberdeen or at one school um, about the state of problems there and then nationally um, Covid gets a lot of the blame I'm quite sure that, that has caused problems uh, the looking at there was some really bad examples recently there's one in Johnston in Renfrewshire um, three teachers were taken to hospital and then, of course, there was um, the stuff that we've reported on as well, violence in, in Anstruther and Leavenmouth in particular. So a summit. Have you have you got your fingers crossed that there might be something noteworthy at the end of this? Or is it going to be just another round of something must be done? It is tricky to, to know whether this is just going to be... I mean, it's... Tr because where do you start with an issue like this, I guess, is the alternative. If you look at the alternative, we could, say, we could call it a talking shop. But then if you look at the alternative, well, how do you actually begin to start the change I guess you do you have to bring everyone together in the same room and I think this event will include unions and parents and teachers and, and different representatives so in that sense maybe it is maybe it is actually necessary in terms of at least a starting point but I guess it's about building on that like how do you take that summit into actually changing the situation and as you kind of alluded to there there's so many factors when it comes to this issue of um sort of violence and, and bullying you know there's there's parenting there's what can teachers do there's the effects of covid there's the effects of social media i mean social media is just terrifying when it comes to bullying i think when we went to school 
we you know people were obviously bullied bullying happened but you went home and you closed your door and hopefully you at least were able to escape it from that sense i mean the idea now of thinking about being bullied and people being able to access you at all times is just terrifying um and the idea that these fights are being recorded almost for is it for clout i don't even know but it's like social media is obviously another really big factor in the mix so it's about kind of unpicking all these really entrenched issues and trying to figure out how you start afresh just maybe too far but how you fix the what is a growing problem Mm -hmm. i think one thing that would be key to the summit then is that if you think about the debate clearly it becomes a bit partisan every opposition msp that stands up and and reels off a, a terrible terrifying example there, there's someone in the party of government saying, um, "Oh, you're 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 not giving a, a fair picture. There's way more good things happening than bad," um, and it kind of got into this idea that they were just kind of going round and round a little bit. One side saying things are terrible and it's all your fault, and the other side saying that's not fair. It's bad everywhere. I don't think that pleases everyone. So maybe the summit will shed some some non-partisan light on it if if real examples and real struggles and real children's experiences are being raised as well as teachers and and uh and parents and unions with it but on that um hope we'll bring it to an end for another week thanks to adele merson producer caroline white and of course to you for listening We'll be back next week, but until then, pick up a paper or log on to The Courier, The Press and Journal and all of our news brands so that you can be better briefed.